Entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Well, he has trouble with the spin. And the ball is funny. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen Watts Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG. Bring your own guts. And they brought some guns and some hope, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. One of my all-time favorites. All right, HBO Real Sports, always must-see. We talk about it quite a bit here. And uh, one of my favorite correspondents uh, is going to join us now, a long history of sports broadcasting, the multi-Emmy Award winner, fantastic sports journalist. Of course, you know her work uh, from back in the day with CBS, NBC, Sunday Night Football, and has been doing a fantastic job with uh, Bryant Gubble and the whole crew there at HBO Real Sports for quite some time. And she was just in Vegas the past couple months and I got a chance to see her and now she's going to join us today as we get ready for HBO's Real Sports latest episode tonight regarding Mark Davis and the Raiders and the Aces and she of course is the Emmy Award winner Andrea Kramer. Andrea how are you doing? Wow what an introduction how do I how do I even begin to top that thank you so much it's great to be on with you finally right we've been talking about this for a while I know and you know I was jogging my memory Andrea and the last time I had you on I didn't realize it was this long ago so I'm going to jog your memory here it was like it was yeah well no it was great but it was four years ago and we were talking about sports gambling when you did the story about sports gambling you were here in Vegas shooting some stuff and we were talking about the other states and then unfortunately and i remember how you opened the broadcast you were here right before the october one shootings and i know before exactly we were there yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so i mean you know so bring up kind of a bad memory there but then i mean you did a fantastic story about the sports gambling and then as we fast forward andrea four years later look where we're at now with sports gambling in other states not only i mean back then we're talking about well is this going to happen is the nfl going to embrace this and now we're having way in arenas and stadiums as we speak. Yeah, I, I, it's really funny because I felt like that story was ahead of its time, and it turned out to be very prescient for what was going to come, even though I, I have to admit, you see, I still watch these games and see these ads, and it, it just it, it, there's just such a disconnect there for me. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, listen, if I told you back then that there was legalized sports betting and it would be there would be these ads like this and all that, it might have been as crazy if I told you we'd be in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. So you never know, right? This, it's just that simple. This is true. You've been to Las Vegas, been coming here for a long, long time. Did you ever think that you were going to have the NHL here, the Vegas Golden Knights, and then have the immediate success, have the WNBA and now the NFL here? That was a dream, a pipe dream going back as recent as five years ago, 10 years ago, I mean, 20 years ago. Forget about it. Are you kidding me? I actually thought, in fact, I remember um, being there and, and spending some time with 
mayors, yeah. past, past and present, Goodman, and uh, we were talking about it, and, and it was almost like if there's another pro team that's going to be here, it would be an NBA team. Right. That was just what the, what the thought was. And then, you know, listen, uh, what the Raiders, Mark Davis, Mark Bedane, everybody, what they what they pulled off and being able to to move the franchise and you know have this stadium is is unbelievable. It really is. Uh, I would not have envisioned that, especially uh, you know not just the move, but just the, the stadium, everything that comes with it, especially in the midst of what turned out to be this this sort of harrowing chapter of our of our history here. You know, with the pandemic, just it's really it's really incredible the way it's all turned out. You know, when I saw you at Mandalay Bay and then saw you again at Legion Stadium, we, we talked a little bit, and you got a chance to spend a lot of time with Mark Davis. You know, I've been waiting for this, and I think a lot of fans you know, can hardly wait to see your piece that will be airing tonight on HBO at 7 o'clock. Talk a little bit about how this story came about with you talking with Mark Davis, and tell us what the premise of the entire story is. I'll be completely honest with you. I've been trying to book this with Mark for years now. I've just always found him to be a fascinating person because no, we never really hear from him. Now you hear from him in little sound bites, but even back then, no, you never heard from him. Never heard him talk about his dad. You know who is this guy? He gets evaluated and, and judged by by the book of the, the cover of the book, if you will, if you know what I mean. Yep. But I, I, I was always just really fascinated by what made him tick. And I had been working on this for years and years and years. And when he was in Oakland, he didn't want to do it because he, you know, it was just sort of a dicey departure, and he didn't want to alienate the fans there. Then when he moved to, L- to to Las Vegas, I'm sort of like, you're kind of running out of excuses here, dude. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit. That wasn't happening. And then finally, um, I, I think that you know he, he agreed, even though he was still a little reticent because he's kind of like, we haven't done anything yet. But I just I felt that this was sort of a new beginning, even though the stadium was open last year. But the fact that it's going to have fans, the fact that he's going to be in attendance, for games this year, it just seemed like a, a perfect opportunity. And we just wanted to sort of tell people who this guy is. Everybody knows who, what his lineage is, but just give people an idea of what makes him tick uh, through stories, through examples of, from, from his childhood. And just, just that, that's the base, that's what you want to do on a profile is not to pass any judgment, not to, not to come up with any opinions, just lay it out. Let's hear from the subject. That's how I like to tell my stories. And, and let the audience uh, come away with, with some conclusions. I mean, you, I assume you saw, the, did you see the story or did you just see the, the teaser at this point? Yeah, this is a teaser. I'm going to be watching it tonight, yeah. Okay, okay, because I'll be very curious what you, know, what you think. Because I, I, I think that it's a very fair portrayal of him. And, um, and I think that, I think it, it's entertaining and enlightening, and that's, that's what your goals are. You know, Mark is a favorite of mine, and you're right. He doesn't do a lot of media, and he's never really felt comfortable. And I'll just share a quick story with you. It just hits exactly what you're saying here. So when I first started broadcasting the Aces games, you know, when he, there was word that he was going to be you know, taking over and buying, I said, hey, Mark, why, why don't you come on with me and, uh, at halftime in one of the games? And he goes, well, what are we going to talk about? 
And at that point in time, the Raiders were not officially, you know, here yet. They were, it was the talk and everything. And I said, well, we're going to talk about the Aces. We'll, you know, talk. He goes, let's talk about the Aces. And he goes, I really don't want to talk about the Raiders. And it was because he has this passion for the Aces. And I said, I got you, my man. No problem. And at that point in time, he just became so like giddy, like a kid. And he was just so proud to talk about the aces. And so every time that we talk, he lights up about talking about the aces and the Raiders. He kind of likes, well, let's defer that to John or or Mike Mayock and and that sort of thing. And so I love having these conversations with him and it's in our relationship obviously has grown over time, but it all started with, he wants to talk more about the women and not just the aces and the WNBA, because as you probably know, and you got to find out yourself, he's such a big proponent for title nine for women's sports going back to college and at the professional level as well. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, him thinking that, that the women are underpaid. and I, But I think that the, one of the biggest indications of, of what you're talking about is the fact that he is going to build what we believe is the only standalone facility for a WNBA, WNBA team in the country. You know, the, what, they're, what they're building adjacent to their facility in Henderson is, is going to be a new facility for the Aces, and it's also going to have the Al Davis Eddie uh, Eddie Robinson Leadership Academy. And so I think that those are really big things for him. But I think just, listen, I remember having conversations with the late Al Davis about his love of women's basketball. And, you know, he, he loved to watch the defense because anything he could do to sort of, you know, learn more or steal a little bit more about zone defenses, he, he loved that. And, and I think that Mark has this affinity for the game, but it's also just one other way that he connects with his late father because of the passion that that Al had for for women's basketball in in particular. But uh, yeah, I think it, it also is just one more way that he's really uh, dug into the the culture and the sports culture, even if you will, of Las Vegas to become so involved uh, in it with with respect to now owning two professional teams. So I think that, uh, and, and really, and building them up in the community. One of the things that, that I know you know this, uh, covering, uh, you know, being with the team as much as you are, but the fact that he brings in the alumni of the Aces, he brings them to games. Well, if you think about the Raiders alumni, that, that's Mark Davis's family. You ask him, he'll tell you that, you know, straight out. It's the alumni, the people on whom the team has built, been built historically, that those are hugely important to him he does it uh with the raiders and now he's doing it with the aces as well yeah absolutely and uh, i think one of the reasons why nikki vargas you know right. chose her as as the president nikki's coming on with I us know, after, after is, you today but how crazy is that that your husband you know played for the raiders right. that's just it, it's sort of like a fairy tale right exactly andrea kramer joins us and the the piece uh, will begin airing tonight on hbo real sports regarding mark davis and uh, the raiders and the aces the relationship there here with las vegas what was your biggest takeaway with Mark Davis and the time that you spent with him here? He is just not your typical team owner, especially in the NFL. I find that of the four major professional sports in this country, NFL owners are almost at the celebrity status. You can reel off a number of NFL owners, but you know, tell me the name of four in Major League Baseball or one of the other sports. It's just there's something different about, about NFL ownership. And as Mark likes to say, there's, there's 31 teams and then there's the Raiders. And I think that he's been sort of this, this 
unknown quantity. And I found him, I, I have yet to find anybody, uh, peers, whatever, who doesn't say, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And you will, and when you talk, when I talk to other owners, they sort of shake their head that, how did he get this done? But it's because he hired the right people and got out of the way. Something his dad actually never did. His dad, you know, wanted to control everything. Mark, I think one of his strengths is knowing what he doesn't know, hiring good people, getting them to do it, and not taking the credit, giving full credit to where, where it belongs. But I think that he really surprised a lot of people, certainly in the NFL, by getting this deal done in Las Vegas. As, as one, one owner told me, he doesn't sit on committees, he's not involved, he's not political the way so many others are, and as well as, you know, unlike the Kraft families or the Jones family or the Ursays or the Hunts, he's, you know, he wasn't really brought up in the business and molded the way some of those kids were. And I think that, that is, that's very interesting to me as well, really gets, you know, delves into a little bit of the relationship that he really had with his dad. So just, just trying to understand a little bit. It was, it was one of those things where as many times as I've talked to Mark Davis over the years, you get into the interview and you really don't know what he's going to say. Now, I, for me, that, I love that because I don't like to go into interviews thinking, you know, just knowing what I'm looking for or knowing what I'm expecting. I, I, I want to be enlightened, if you will, and it was, uh, it was really interesting just talking to him. I found him to be very interesting and, um, and very, very, really very likable. The thing about it is, too, with Mark, the reason why he bought the Aces, because he was a fan first. It wasn't a business right. investment. He'll be the first one to tell you. I'm, I'm sure he probably did. He said, you know, I'm probably not going to make any money on this. It'd be nice if I made some money with this. But he really wants to help out the women of this league and especially the women on this team. And like you mentioned, building this state-of-the-art facility, this multi-million dollar facility so, so they can train properly. Uh, our last conversation we had last week was like his mission is to really fix the travel aspect in the WNBA, not just with his team, but everybody else. And like you said, he goes, hey, it's basically about a million dollars per owner. Let's get this right so we don't get stuck in airports. And, the, and these women are professional, world-class athletes, and they need to be treated like that. He goes, that would never fly in the NFL, and it shouldn't fly this way in, in the WNBA. And so I think, you know, when you talk about other owners, I can think maybe of the, the Maloofs, who I got a chance to know very, very well in the NBA, and Mark Cuban, who basically kind of started out as fans. I kind of think Mark Davis is in that mold of those guys in comparison to so many of the other owners that you mentioned that are they're just business people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. He's he, Listen, he's got he, – he is an only child, and he really does believe that, that these teams are – are his family or certainly extensions of, of, of his family. And, um, uh, you know, just the amount of money that he has sunk into the Raiders. And got to remember, from a financial standpoint, this is his only source of revenue is the team or teams. Uh, or, but as you pointed out, it's not as though the Aces are going to be a moneymaker for him. But, you know, he is, you know, the, the Henderson facility was $175 million to build. Uh, you put up there. Obviously, it's a buyback situation, so financially, it's different. But still, that it's it's quite an investment, and in a league that's becoming more and more about free agency and 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 being able to lure people here. I mean, you walk into this place, and it's it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's one more thing that has been done under the ownership of of Mark Davis. And um, and no spoiler alert, but 
you know, he is keenly, keenly aware that for all these things and mending relationships with people that maybe his dad had alienated, for all of those things, he's got to win. And he hasn't won yet. Mm-hmm. And 2-0 and looks great, but he hasn't won, and we know that his father won three Super Bowls. <laughs> right. So what was your feeling being at the Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, for an Aces game? And I know you didn't get the full experience because it was still pandemic time, and it was limited amount of, of people. And then going to Allegiant you know, for the preseason game, it wasn't a full house as well, too. But just speak a little bit about, especially from the WNBA aspect, of, of what your thoughts were about the Aces and their passionate fans. It was, it was really great. And, of course, you know, this – this notion that he's not even making fans pay for tickets right. this this season—that's you know—that's pretty impressive as well. Uh, but it was it was a great uh, it was just a great vibe, and I think that um, uh, at, at Allegiant, Allegiant to me is the perfect example of a stadium reflecting the team and the town. Whether it's the views that you get of the strip or you know, the artwork that they have, the entertainment that they have, uh, you know, the, the whole, there's, there's, you know, bars and nightclubs and this and that. It's just what you'd sort of expect in L.A. And, and now they need to put on a good show. So I, I think that it does a good job of, of reflecting that. And, of course, you know, Mark, what did he coin the term, the Death Star, when you, when you look at the stadium? And, and even just, you know, as soon as you walk in, as soon as you walk, excuse me, as soon as you fly into Vegas, there, you know, you see it right there. So it's, um, it's impressive in itself just to, uh, just to have, have the stadium. You've been around the NFL for such a long time, doing the Sunday night football and then, you know, the ESPN coverage. I mean, the first ESPN female correspondent going way back in the day as well, too. And now I think it's pretty cool. So what you and Hannah Storm are female tag team, female combo doing Thursday night football on Amazon. Give me some thoughts on that. An option to uh, the great Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on Thursday nights. We have our uh, small but mighty team, and what I'm really proud of is that we are on the cusp of our fourth season. Uh, anytime you have any kind of longevity, especially in this crazy business at this crazy time, it's pretty great. And uh, you know, uh, the idea of being the first full, you know, the first female booth for covering the NFL, uh, and I'm the first full-time female NFL game analyst is. Uh, you know, it's it's just been this one tremendous learning experience and a great challenge. And you know, the, as as with any rookie coach or player, you look back on your first year and you wince because, like, oh my God, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And now I I feel that uh, I I think we're I think we're a good listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, I I could go further than that, but that's that's up for people to to decide. But we're an option. And if you want to hear a game differently, and not just because it's two women, I think we just take a different approach to it. I was told this by the great Al Michaels, my old partner and my dear friend, and he said 90% of the analysts use all this football lingo. They have no idea. And 99% of the audience probably doesn't know it either, but they think it sounds really cool. Right. And I, I'm, I'm not lapsing into that. If I, if I am going to talk about a jet sweep or ghost motion or whatever it is, if I can't explain it in 10 seconds or 15 seconds, if I can't tell you what it is, I shouldn't be talking about it. 
because I can use the lingo with the best of them, but that's not the point. That's the point is to be able to explain the game, to be able to, I mean, you know, I talk to I, I, players, coaches, coordinators, general managers, um, just my, the, the preparation feels endless, but you want to try to bring people into the minds of, of, of these folks to, to just give a better understanding of the game. I think that we we do a really unique broadcast, and I'm very very proud and excited that we'll be uh, we'll be taking over Thursday nights uh, first week in October, yeah. October seventh, Rams Seahawks. And you guys are pros. I mean, that's it. Male, female, it doesn't matter. You guys are professionals and both covered this league for a long time. So, no, continue success with that. Well, I appreciate that, and, and listen, I, I think that that's really to Amazon's credit because nobody could say it's a gimmick because right. you may not care to listen to us, but you can't besmirch our credentials between Hannah Storm and myself, I think. So uh, Hannah uh, does an incredible job with the play-by-play. Uh, she is the, the consummate host. There's no situation. She is the, the queen of live television, nothing she can't handle. So, yeah, so it, it just we, I feel that we really complement each other, our skill set, as well as our longtime friendship uh, that, that, that comes through. A fantastic job, of course, with HBO Real Sports. And, and I'm serious, Andrea. There are two correspondent stories I will never miss. All right? It's <laughs> you and Bernie Goldberg. Plain and simple. I can't miss any stories that you or Bernie do. I mean, what's it like working with Bernie? Bernie, Bernie is, <laughs> is unique. Uh, you know, one of the great journalists. That's for sure. No, no question. No question. So tonight uh, it'll air on HBO's Real Sports, uh, seven o'clock tonight. Her profile piece on Mark Davis, uh, the Raiders, the Aces—it's all covered in there. Can hardly wait to see it, Andrea. And that means, since I haven't seen it yet, uh, we have to have you back on. So then, you know, you can get my opinion, and we can talk further about it. How's that? But sounds like a deal to me. I'll be very curious what you think. Thank you so much for the time. I'm really glad we got to see each other at, at the Aces game that night. And, and thanks for understanding that we were pretty much, you know, shooting nonstop. And yeah. I'm really glad we got a chance to visit today. And, and to you and all your listeners, stay healthy and safe out there. Thanks, Andrea. Appreciate it. All right. Take good care. There, there she is, Andrea Kramer, one of the best. Yes, the multi-Emmy Award winner. And uh, check out the story on HBO Real Sports. It airs tonight. Mark Davis, the Raiders, the Aces, and Andrew does a fantastic job. And, of course, Brian Gumble, the entire staff there at HBO Real Sports. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. It was a year of ever-present uncertainty. Empty streets, milestones missed, passions postponed. But we did not submit. Last year, on this day, even indoors, six feet apart, we stood shoulder to shoulder, determined that the tradition would continue. And now we are taking back our lives, our city. At Surf and Stillwell, we stand at the intersection of every culture, every hope. Because of every language in the world, the word recognizable to all is freedom. The rock on which we stand, that is what we celebrate here today. Through the lens of this man, 
the champion of the 4th of July, who commands the laws of physics. 75 a world record. Today, we gather in a new location for safety, a ballpark, an American cathedral that is no stranger to the hot dog and the bun. So it is, and so it always shall be. Let the contest He is a poet, he's an innovator, he's a showman. Yes, the face, I like to say, and the voice of the famous Nathan's Hot Dog Contest. Uh, George Shea joins us. George, what's going on, my man? Not too much. Just recovering after the 4th of July. Thank you very much for having me on. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, George. Whether it's uh, pepperoni rolls, oysters, sweet corn, tamales, pork rolls, baked beans, and probably another uh, dozen or two things, you've dominated the competitive eating market here, my friend, and congratulations. Well, yeah, I know we're doing about, well, on a normal year, we're doing about um, 50 different events a year. Um, You know, all of the Nathan's qualifiers leading up, but then like Buffalo chicken wings and Acme oysters and all this kind of stuff. Of course, we were knocked back by COVID, but at very least we're back with, uh, you know, the Nathan's live and in person was really fun. It all went down, of course, yesterday. The Nathan's uh, famous hot dog eating contest. Joey Chestnut wins his 14th title. Closest competitor, what, Jeffrey Esper had 50. Nick Weary had 44. How did you find Joey Chestnut, or how did Joey Chestnut find you? So Joey's been around now for, oh, boy, 18 years or so. He was a rookie out of the asparagus circuit when he came to uh, to, the, to his first hot dog eating contest, and then, which I think was 05, in which he did 32, if I remember correctly. Wait, wait, then... hold, hold on, George. we we got we to stop right there. He comes to us from the asparagus circuit. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, you know, the roller derby, the minor league baseball. No, he got to the famous Nathan's hot dog eating contest via asparagus. This is tremendous. Yeah, he was the undisputed asparagus eating champion, of the world for, for many years where they, they, they no longer hold that event or we no longer hold it, but he, yeah, that, and, and he was very impressive. And I remember the first year they're saying, we think he's going to eat 30. Um, and he ate 32. And then the next year in 06, he actually was one dog behind Kobayashi, but Kobayashi actually, that many believe there was a very, very bad call because Kobayashi spit up, right. And which would DQ him. But the judges did not DQ him, and you can see photos of it with Joey and this other guy, Pat Bertoletti, who were competing, like pointing at Kobayashi, going like, "What?" And uh, but then it was '07 that Joey beat Kobayashi. He beat him again in '08 and in '09, '09, and then Kobayashi sort of quit. And Joey's been unbeatable. He was beaten once by Matt Stoney, but that's when he had a broken heart. And and I've often said that. There's no force in in the universe that can beat Joey Chestnut except for love, uh, and but the but the year after he came back and so he's just been dominant as you say he's just very very dominant. And I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, we watched the uh, the, the documentary that was on a, a few years back uh, that detailed that battle between Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi. And I think we talked to you, George, maybe I think it was after that aired. What were your, your feelings on that? Did that come across how you wanted it to? Well, you know, it's it's so funny. That actually really touched a nerve with me. And, you know, it's funny. She, the, the, the director felt that 
I misused the power of narrative and that I was insensitive to Kobayashi, who felt bruised when I said USA, USA, right? right. And she, she felt that by, by making, blowing Joey up and, and all this kind of stuff, that I had made him feel bad. And this is my understanding. This is my impression. And then, but the irony is she then, and I never did that intentionally, she then used her documentary intentionally to make me out to be a bad guy, and she changed the facts. You know what I'm saying? She put in audio of people booing Kobayashi when there was no booing. You could go on YouTube and see the same clip and they're cheering. And you know what I'm saying? So I was very frustrated at that. But I would say this. It was great to have a 30 for 30 on ESPN. ESPN is a great partner of ours, right? And you need to create a narrative. So she created a narrative where I was the bad guy, right? And she she sure made me look like a jerk. But okay, you know, there's got to be a bad guy, you know, so, you know, move on and, and don't get too sensitive. But I do think the one thing that they really captured in that was the intensity of that rivalry, right? And you have to ask yourself, why did Kobayashi quit? He didn't really quit because of me saying USA, USA, right? I mean, that, that just can't be. So, but it was, a, it was such a powerful rivalry and, we, rivalry, and we've tried to get him back so many times because really that would be extraordinary to see. And remember, George, uh, you know, you're New York City, you're a wrestling guy, I'm sure. Roddy Roddy Piper, Randy Macho Man Savage were heels before they turned into good guys and baby faces. So there you go. I mean, you've, you've already turned, George. You know, you're, you're a baby face. You're the face of this organization. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll take baby face or heel. There is, no, <laughs> there is no man, in my opinion, who understands the power of narrative and the, the sort of hard wire feeling that humans get watching any form of entertainment than Vince McMahon. So I'll be a heel. I'm all good. I'm all good. (laughs) So from listening to what you've been saying, what I've deduced from this is that at the same time that the uh, Nathan Southall competition is going on and Wimbledon across the pond, in tennis, love is nothing, and in eating, competitive eating, it can cost you your yellow belt, your mustard belt. (laughs) It did. It did. It broke his – he had it. He was – he was – Look, I don't want to get into his, yeah. his personal life, obviously, but he was engaged to be married, and, and um, his fiance called it off, I think, three weeks before the fourth. And I think it was just emotionally devastating. And Matt Stoney, who, by the way, Matt Stoney is a great eater, you know, 14, 14 million followers on YouTube. You know, he's like Badlands Booker. I, you guys know how much I love Badlands Booker, <laughs> the greatest guy in the world. He's now got 3 million YouTube followers. They have their own industry, these guys. But, but so Matt's a great eater, but... But Matt, I just could, I believe just could not begin to approach Joey's numbers on the Fourth of July. All right, and you mentioned uh, Badlands Booker. I know he was not in the contest yesterday. Yeah, he. We did the first ever World Chugging Championship, um, a gallon of Nathan's famous lemonade. And Badlands Booker's the number one chugger in the world. His YouTube following is Badlands Chugs. He that's where he has three million followers. He does chugs. You just like chug. It's amazing. The love for this guy is incredible. I was in Coney Island. We were filming for uh, ESPN and uh, pre-stuff. And he couldn't walk down the back. People, a kid came up to him. His hands were shaking. He was so excited to meet Badlands Booker. So, you know, but so he's really a great chugger. We did this chugging contest. He drank a gallon of lemonade in 37 seconds. So I believe that we got to get that back. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have Badlands doing chugging as an undercard to every major event. Cause it was so, 
It was so dramatic. Yeah, see, the two guys I missed the most yesterday. I mean, your introduction of Badlands is, is great. And then, you know, he'll come out and rap, and then we'll, we'll see him stuff his face with hot dogs. But uh, the guy never wins. But like I said, he's kind of like that, that face. The two guys I missed yesterday, George, were Badlands Booker and my guy, Rich the Locust from Las Vegas. What happened to Rich? Uh, Rich, who's one of the, the, the veterans, has been around, um, gosh, I mean, you know, uh, 2000 or uh, uh, 98, um, I believe that there was ill health in, in one part of his family and that he has not been able to to compete. But, you know, this is a guy who would do zero preparation and knock down 31 hot dogs every single time. I mean, he would walk off the bus, eat, go back, and then he'd be eating that night. He was just a phenom, and they called the locust because he's such a, a skinny skinny guy and the way he eats it's like a bug putting putting stuff in his mouth and he but he was he was an absolute fan favorite one time i won't go off on a tangent one time i was in philadelphia they had what they called the wing bowl there and it was twenty thousand people in their basketball arena packed right packed twenty thousand fans all of whom were drunk and the biggest applause of anyone, Joey included, was when the Locust came out. They went crazy, crazy. And the Locust is in his 70s now, right? And he's from Las Vegas he right be, here. Yeah, he's the best. He's yeah. the best. And his wife, Carlene, who's, right. who um, was and is, you know, a, a true champion. I think he's 73. I, you know, don't, don't, don't um, uh, you know, count on that. But, but right around there. And, but always a fierce competitor. He and his wife are so competitive and and as a result, they have they have performed amazingly. When it comes to Joey Chestnut, and he's up there, and he's just blowing everybody away by like fifty percent more than they're eating for the guy in second place. What is his motivation? Is it just the crowd cheering him on and going for another world record? Because you know that'd be like Usain Bolt in the hundred yard dash winning by fifty yards. Yeah, no, it was right. So if if Jeffrey Esper's at fifty, as you say, he's more than 50% ahead of Jeffrey Esper um, and 100% ahead of, you know, many, many competitors, right? right. Yeah, right. So, but he's absolutely not competing against them. Yes, they are a baseline and he has to win. He's competing against himself and he's going for the record. And he got, you know, 73, then 74, then 75, and now 76. Um, And that's what he's, that's what he's doing. And, um, but you, it's very difficult, and, and I'm sure this is true of every competitor, and right, like in LeBron and all these guys get heat for being so intense. And it's like, yo, dude, take it easy. You know, you can't be at that level and take it easy, right? And that's the way Joey is. He wants to win. It is important. It is critically important to him, and uh, and that's why he wins. All right, George Shea joined us, the chairman of Major League Eating and, of course, the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, which we saw Joey Chestnut dominate again yesterday with 76 hot dog and bun. George, did you ever anticipate where we are today with your contest and Major League Eating? I mean, the partnership with ESPN, the sponsors you've been able to attract. I mean, this thing really has taken on a life of its own. It's gained popularity over the years where it has just become this staple, not just for people in New York and Coney Island, but just, you know, sports fans and non-sports fans who tune in every 4th of July. Yeah, you know, there was never any business plan 
we just sort of did it and and did it to have fun. I have two great partners, my brother Richard and, and Dave Bear, and they're much better businessmen than, than I am, by the way. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm going to yell on stage, right? But they're 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 much smarter. But the the um, never never a business plan. We just thought like, what would be interesting? What would be funny? What would be interesting? What would be dramatic? And and that's how we've approached it. And I think you know I think it has a lot more potential than we have exploited right with in the world of social media etc but as you mentioned you know we we did three DraftKings DraftKings is a partner and they had a free to play and you can bet in certain states right and and um uh, so they've been a partner we did a couple events in Las Vegas um you know the, this winter and Bounty obviously a big sponsor and perfect for like a messy contest but you know the the I think that the key here for us is to find more venues with um, that just sort of grand the ability to get audience and to and to really get that intensity going. And for me, you know, I was really fortunate enough to come out and host the opening of Circa um, last October during COVID. You know, and just be the host, independent, nothing to do with eating, uh, because Derek Stevens and the crew over there, Jeff Victor and stuff, and they're great guys. They, they're fans. And then, you know, for me, I just got to do. I just I need more Joey's to introduce, right? And then. Uh, and Joey just needs more more pages in the history book. So I, I guess that's our goals. The one thing I will say is people were asking me, my friends and stuff, like, where do you think this could go? I never would have thought Joey would be 75 because he did it inside with air conditioning. But it happened to be like this super beautiful day. It was 75, 74 degrees. It was like it was just the best most gorgeous day ever. So maybe that's how he got it done. But I never would have uh, thought he'd break that. So no Coney Island, like on Surf and Stillwell, but, you know, we were at the minor league ballpark yesterday. What was the main reason why you couldn't go back to Surf and Stillwell? You know what it is? It was we were planning ahead of the arc on restrictions being removed, right? So we were planning this in April, and if you recall, there were, you know, Full, full restrictions, right? So if we could have planned this in late June, we would have done it on the corner, but you can't, you know? So when we first started, the numbers were 25% of capacity could come in with social distancing, which would have been excruciating, right? But um, but by the time we got there, there were no restrictions, and that's why we did it in the ballpark, right? Because you can, you know, you you the city was overwhelmed. They don't have to deal with planning, right? You can control it. You can control who's in, who's out. And then it just came to be like you could just, like, let them fly. Um, you know, very interesting thing, no vibe ever as good as that street corner in Coney Island. Very raw, very gritty, very, like, original 100-year-old, this kind of thing. But there was huge appreciation for doing it in the ballpark and the ability to control everything. You have a bathroom. You have stands and beer. And there was, like, to a person from the audience, they're going, do this again here next year. You know, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that picturesque street corner thing, but it was so much. It was so much more controllable, and everybody, you know, really enjoyed that. that and it, sort of and it came across really good on television as well, too. It really, it really played because I was one of those guys. Like, uh, how is this going to be? What the ballpark? Not sure, but it did play well. So, congratulations! You know, when, on that. when they were telling me, I was groaning inside. I'm going like, what could be more, you know, antiseptic? And boring right. than a ballpark, really, because no matter how good they are, they're all more or less the same. But you know what? It wasn't true. You, the, from the ESPN's view, you could see, you know, the harbor and the water and the ships, and and 
you know, the crowd was like into it. So I have to tell you, it was easier for me, right, just being on stage. It was easier getting in, out. The whole thing was just way easier. And I, I'd be really interested to see what happened with Nathan's because Nathan's sells a ton of hot dogs. As you guys know, it's like, a, and, and there are tons in, in Las Vegas, but really a beloved brand here. And, um, you know, they sell a ton on the 4th of July. I'd be really interested to see if they sold what they would have had the contest been right there in the corner. Because if that's the case, then, you know, you really have to say, maybe we do it there again, you know, but, but I, that's, that's a decision they will make. And, um, but I would be happy, obviously, in either location. Now, obviously, this is kind of your Super Bowl of the eating world with the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest every year. But what's some of the other events that you have fun doing? And is there a food that you haven't had an eating challenge for yet that you would like to try or see if people are interested in, uh, in doing down the road? Well, you know, and most of our most of our events come from fairs, festivals, food brands, right, restaurants, this kind of stuff. So there's usually a food that's driving it. If you're in Maine or something, right, and there's a festival, it might be lobster or something, right. And then you know you're in you're in Louisiana, and it's oysters, right. They they have an Acme oyster contest there. Acme oysters, a, a restaurant down there, huge huge festival, huge con- uh, contest. In Buffalo, we do chicken wings on Labor Day, one of my favorite events, probably my Honestly, one of you know, next to the Fourth of July, it's really, really close because twenty thousand fans, plenty of beer. It's Buffalo on Labor Day. The weather's perfect. That's a great one, right? And and then obviously, once again, that's because you're in Buffalo. You're doing chicken. But you know what was funny? We were talking recently. We did an event um, called the Glutton Bowl in two thousand one. I think it was right after actually nine eleven, um, and. Um, one of the guys, Oleg Zornitsky, ate four 32-ounce bowls of mayonnaise. <laughs> and, and I have to tell you, first of all, just the reaction you get from, from most people is like, that's worth it for just that. But, but the, the, he abandoned the spoon and used the spoon that God gave him, and he just scooped up that mayonnaise, and it was, it was monumental. So for me, I would like to see a rehash of the mayonnaise eating contest. I really would. What is the wackiest reversal of fortune that uh, you've encompassed? And I would think uh, we almost had one here when you're describing the mayonnaise, especially in the heat. <laughs> well, the mayonnaise, yeah, the mayonnaise was thankfully in a temperature control. You know, it's so funny. In the very early days, of, and I'm talking like 97, 98, 99, maybe 2000, there would be eaters who would suffer urges contrary to swallowing, right? There, it, it, a reversal of fortune, you know. Um, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at all ever now. I'm, t- I'm telling you. Well, you know what? We talked because... to Mickey last week, and, and she basically said the same thing to us. I said to Mickey, I said, have you had more reverse, reversal of fortunes in competition or your pregnancy right now? And she goes, really? Uh, n- neither one. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. They don't. And I'm telling you, but but that is because in the very early days, there were no competitive eaters. You'd grab people literally off. You'd be in a mall somewhere, and you'd grab people who are coming to go to the Orange Julius and, and buy a, a leather jacket or something, and you get them to compete, and then they might have trouble. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And and by the way, you know, these eaters, you know, they're talking, as I, as I may have mentioned, I, I, we did the Today Show this morning. 
and I was shooting the breeze with a bunch of the, it was virtual, but we were in our office, and a bunch of the eaters came over. And they're talking about this. They live and breathe this. It's just, it's just not even, that's just not even going to happen. How many hot dogs can you down, and what's your favorite thing to eat if you're just enjoying a yeah. meal? I wonder if George has entered a contest. There you go. So, so this is, now this, you've come across the, the area of my shame. I... I once did a, com- a competition against a journalist. Twelve minutes, he ate nine hot dogs, and here it is, I ate six. And I and I have to tell you something, I couldn't even almost get six done. And what that showed me is, first of all, yeah, I know I this is uh, you know, so I'm a I'm a social eater, not a competitive eater. It turns out, but you know, it's much much harder, right? Even just doing six, your your jaw gets tired. And everything that's, you know, sort of you, you know, you're not there enjoying it because it becomes an effort. And uh, so, yes, that will not be my future. My favorite, I'm a sweetaholic. So for me, I would eat brownies. Like I just, I I love brownies or anything sweet. And, uh, but I did have Nathan's last night. We had a big barbecue. My sister and her family were here. We had like a big barbecue and and lots of Nathan. I do love Nathan's hot dogs. For me, it's just one with, you know, or two with mustard. That's what I love. There you go. And you don't dunk the bun, right? Even when you're eating for enjoyment. (laughs) Well, unless, you know, if I have to leave quickly, yes. But otherwise, generally, no. Uh, Yep, there you go, George. You're playing my song, man. I, You know, they asked me earlier, well, you know, because I'm a hot dog fanatic as well. And Frank asked me, he said, well, how long did it take you to have 75 hot dogs? And I did it about five hot dogs a week, probably about three and a half months. And so, yeah, Joey did it in 10 minutes. It takes me about three and a half months, but I love my hot dogs as well. All right, final thing for you, my friend. Do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you because the last time I had you on, you promised me an intro, my friend. I don't know if you remember this or not. You were supposed to cut me an intro like only George Shea can do. So I'm going to hold you to it. And I'm going to need something now, but you got to go back in your studio and you got to cut me one, my friend. That's what I do. I introduce people. That's that's what I do. And I have all kinds of ideas. I was sitting there yesterday going, oh, this could work. So I will absolutely do it. I have it would be my honor, and I will knock it out. And I'll put it against non-commercial music. Well, you, you guys. Well, no, I have that favorite song, George. I think I mentioned what, what this to is? you before. I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's one of your things that you introduce the guys to. It's got that Thomas Dolby sound, and I love it. I want to use that for my themes. That bum 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 bum. You know, when you you got to go and use like three different ones yesterday, but it's the main one that you had going there. That's my jam. That's the music. That's what I got to have, George. There it is. Well, that that is that is um, Booker Booker's beat. Hold on, is that because I've been dying for that? I've been trying to find it. I can't find it. This is what I'm talking about. There it is. I'm, three years I've been looking for this. There it is. It's Booker's beat. In a world beat. of nothing, of barren hills and cracked earth, and once proud oceans drained to sand, there will still be a monument to our existence. <laughs> yes, we, we 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 will get you something that. That is the great Badlands Booker himself to his song, Sweet Science. Now I know. And, um, Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. George. All right, You've got to check that out. Look look on look on any music platform for Sweet Science, Badlands Booker. See, now, it's it's oh, one of my favorite you made, songs. Yeah. You made my day. You made my, my holiday. You made my year, George. All right, so uh, you take us out. Take us out, George. Give us give us something uh, like only George Shea can do as uh, George Shea on the T.C. Martin Show here today, Las Vegas. Hit it, George, as we take us okay. out. Once in every ten generations, the heroes rise to lead us to victory. And so before you now, they come. Men who will run and charge to the ramparts of victory and who will never stand down, who will never submit, 
who will never surrender until their bones are cracked and splintered and scraped like chalk on pavement. They will fight on. That's outstanding. (laughs) George Shea, outstanding stuff, my friend. Congratulations. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you so much for having me. And I I hope everybody has a great summer. And and I look forward to talking to you guys later as, as we approach, you know, different seasons and different events and your next event in vegas you, we got to hook up and uh, we got to have you in studio my friend i would love that okay. i would love that take care my okay. friend appreciate Talk it there, there he is george shea the chairman of major league eating the nathan's famous hot dog eating contest the voice and the faith Capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. <laughs> Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. The doctor is now in. And our next guest, we may get him in our best bet segment as well, too, because I think he knows a thing or two about handicapping football. He knows a lot about a lot, and we're talking about D'Lo Brown. He is in the house joining us now. And, of course, how can you not remember D'Lo Brown from his days back in the WWE, six-plus years there, the Intercontinental Champion, the former European Champion. Wait, I got a problem with this. My European Champion. WWE is in Hartford, Connecticut. D'Lo, there's no should not even be a European champion. You got it not once, not twice, not three times the lady like Lionel Richie, but four times. What the heck is that? I gotta represent the entire world. There's a whole other continent in northern in your northern hemisphere. So we gotta represent everybody. I'm the greatest European champ of all time. How's your German? Let's hear some. Bro, no, no, no. I can't, bro, I can't break it <laughs> Come out Come on, bro. Give me some bro, French. Bro, 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 bro. <laughs> See, we had a failure to communicate here. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we have. A failure to communicate. That's it. Oh, man. I take the nation of domination uh, over to Italy. It went, uh, Eat the right. We'll, we'll wreck shop in, in Milan. Come on, bro. <laughs> there you go, right? Uh, what is happening, brother? Man, I'm doing great, man. Uh, out here representing Impact Wrestling and yeah. and and loving the Vegas life. Been out here for a few years, so uh, 
I'm a Las Vegan. We just figured that out in the break. I'm a Las Vegan. You're a local now. I'm a local now. It's so funny because going back in the day, and I'm going to show a little bit of my age and stuff, but you know, back when I was doing my thing and promoting and bringing these wrestlers in, nobody was from here. I had to spend a ton of money flying everybody in, and it's so funny. Now half of that roster that worked for me, they're living here now. You know, I, I moved to Las Vegas, and I hate to say this, but none of the boys live here. Right. You know, it was like there was like three people. You right. know, Godfather was here, yep. a couple local promoters, right? Yep. I move here within six months. <laughs> I got Jake the Snake living right? here, and Greg Valentine right? living here, and Mox is living here, mm-hmm. and Brian Cage is living mm-hmm. here, and it's like... God, guys, leave me alone. I left Florida. You're the one that did it. We, got, brought, we got you to I'm blame. Like a, I'm like a magnet. I brought it back, I brought yeah. it back from Florida and California, and we all met here in Vegas. There it is. There it is. See? That's it. And, and it's funny, too, because when I first moved back here in, in 2015, I had no idea that, it, that Jake and Hammer and those guys yeah. were here. And like I said, you know, going back in the day and... All that fun, but uh, yeah, there's so many guys. I mean, Sabu's here, RVD, and you know, uh, they, you know Oscar come... lives here as well. Yeah, that's right. I so, mean, this, this right. city is full of yeah. now of wrestling talent. This has become the old Florida, the old Tampa, Florida. It is the old really? Tampa area. Right? All the boys you know live in Tampa, and, and right. okay, there's two common things: tax-free state. There you go. Quote, quote. Sure. That helps out. Sure. Bingo. <laughs> um, that helps out a lot. And then the weather here. Some people don't like the heat, but when you're 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 beating your body up 300 days a year. This is the weather here is really good on your joints. Right. So um, it's nice to walk outside in 95 degrees and not have to worry about being stiff or anything. So that's why I think a lot of the boys uh, have chosen Vegas. You were an East Coast guy, right? I was born and raised in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm an East Coast guy through and through. See, you transplant. You said well, 3,000 miles away. You coming to the good life? Yeah. I don't have to shovel snow out here, so Thank it's you. okay. I'll, I can I'll relate. Take it. I'll I, take it. I did that for 12 years in Green Bay, so I can relate. I'm sorry. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> D'Lo Brown in the house. Let's go back to the roots, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. How did it start for you getting in the business? Um, started off, uh, I, I left college. Uh, I was working in New York, uh, and I would drive home down the South Jersey uh, with my friends, and they were still backyard wrestling. Yeah. Um, driving through the turnpike, huh? Yeah, going down the turnpike. <laughs> you know it well. Uh, exit 7 on the turnpike. <laughs> right. um, so we would go, we would uh I would go out and backyard wrestle with them. So and then once every couple months we would rent a ring from a guy named Larry Sharp on some monster factory, um, a perennial uh, enhancement talent from you know the, the mid eighties. Right. No so, relation to Iron Mike. By no the way. relation to Iron Mike Sharp because Larry <laughs> Canada's greatest athlete. Canada's greatest athlete. Larry didn't have the broken arm. Right. Um. So we rented a ring one time, uh, and he you know normally he would he would get the money and just drive away because he didn't care. He got his three hundred bucks and gone. Um, one time he decided to stick around and watch. He goes, hey, you're pretty athletic. You ever uh, think about doing this for real? And I said, me? Yeah. And he goes, okay, sell 50 tickets. You can be on my next show. <laughs> right. So I sold four, bought the other 46 myself, and the rest is history. Wow. And that that's, it. that's how I got my step into professional wrestling. And you, you impressed. I, I am I impressed enough. And you had fifty people screaming your name too. No, no, I had four. You had four. The other forty six came out of my bank account. So you didn't even like give them to people. No, I just bought the tickets <laughs> and gave them the money. There it is. I'm invested in myself here. <laughs> I thought you okay. I was going with okay. He bought him and here you go. Boom, no. grandma, auntie, come on. Here you go. He didn't care if they showed up or not. He just wanted the the four hundred and sixty dollars. Of course, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Wow. So let's talk about 
then you went into the WWE. You went to WWE, yeah. of course. Yeah. The Nation of Domination, which yes. everybody uh, remembers you from. Mm-hmm. Let's go back. How did that start? Because that actually didn't start in the WWE. That started no. what? What uh, U.S. Uh, it was originally it was the first version was USWA right. where they tried yeah. it out a little bit right okay um, and then the nation came into the WWF at the time in late '96. I joined. The I still appreciate the F by the way. I, I, I'm old school. I do so. too. I want yeah. the F back in. There you go. Um, uh, <laughs> boom! I joined uh, January of '97, and that came about because um, I had a connection with Cornette and Jim Ross through Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Uh, and so when an opportunity presented itself to have this guy who could just basically get beat up, they go, oh, we got a guy, D'Lo, take a bump D'Lo. So D'Lo went and... D'Lo the jobber. D'Lo the jobber. And the, for my first appearance was getting... there. That was my, no, foot, no foot on the rope. Bro, that was my theme music forever. <laughs> um, uh, and so uh, that was that first night in where I took that per plunge from Ahmed Johnson on top of the Lincoln and... Vince loved me after that point, and you know, once you make Vince happy, that's the, that's kind of all you have to do. Right, right. How did you like uh, working with him for all that time, Vince? Yeah. Um, you know what? You can tell like it is. He is what he is. Yeah. I mean, he's a businessman. He'll never ask you to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's all about his bottom line. Right. Now, um, do do you get you know you think it's family or it, it, no? Not really. Do you think he's a great fan man or, you know, he's a, he's a businessman. That's all he does. He's about making money and putting stars on TV to make more money. And that's pretty much it. And as long as you accept that and understand that, life is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You're doing that gimmick and everything. How much heat did you get? Uh, just not from fans, but from people in the business as well, too. I think the people, in the, the boys in the business just looked at it and laughed. And they were right. like, I can't believe you guys are doing this and getting away with this. This is awesome. Keep right. doing it. Because right. the boys, we like messing with the real world. Mm-hmm. We like messing with the outside world. So when you get a, a, a gimmick that really gets under people's, you know, under people's skin, everyone gets behind it and just enjoys it. So it's it's kind of like let's collectively watch everyone right. everyone you know shiver and, and get in the corner and what the hell are you doing? So the boys loved it. But from a fan's perspective, now, fans' perspective, yeah, they, I'm sure they you got want, some stories for oh, us. Oh, they wanted to kill us. Yeah. They wanted to kill us, and and it was because you know you, you pretty much have a group of you have a group of, of black guys telling white people how bad they are. Right. So it's not what you're used to on national TV. So um, yeah, you, you heard it at home, at home in the streets, and you know the, I lived in Florida at the time, so the store there called Publix. You'd hear it. I would walk in Publix and be like, "Oh yeah, Nation, I'm not here to protect you now." That kind of stuff, right? Um, but you know that lets you know you're connecting to people. Yes, because I'd rather have somebody say it to me in the supermarket than say nothing at all. Right. So it was okay. And anybody that, that probably knows you too, they probably say, "What well, that that's you? That's the I mean again, talk about you know being an actor, turning it on, turning it off, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I mean, that uh th- that that's funny. Anyone who knows me my and I use the term real life, anyone right. knows me outside the ring right. and then saw me on TV could not believe that was the same individual. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, that's not you. Yeah. It's not me, but that's what I'm paid to do. Right. You don't so talk it, like that. It, it, is, it is me when I'm on TV and don't tell anybody anything different. When the red light goes on. Here you go. Red light means green. There, there, there you go. There it is. Well, you know, back in the day, you know, when you cut yourself, yeah. red means green. Red means green. There you go. So, all right. All right. D'Lo Brown uh, in the house. Uh, famous 
for the head shake as well. Yes. Now, you know, I'm a Northern California guy, so you know where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. You know, Merton Hanks, yep. 49ers, DB36. Yes, there it is. Sir. Is that where you got it, or, it, it or did you get it from Friday, or where did you get it from? It is actually a combo. Com- it's a combination of Friday, Chris Tucker, you and Merton Hanks. Then that's where the scene where it came from, because I could do it right over top of Debo standing over there. But um, See, Merton gave more of the chicken, though. And you that's, know, where, you know the, saying? that's yeah. where the strut came in. Okay. So the you. strut down to the ring was Merton Hanks. That's right. all Merton Hanks. And if you look at that and look at Merton Hanks, you go, oh, I see it. Now, wait a minute. You're a Jersey guy, probably Jets-Giants guy. I don't know. Maybe you've got you pegged for Steelers. What are you knowing about the 49ers back in the day, Merton Hanks? Okay, so back in the day, full right. disclosure, right. like, okay, now we can see any NFL game. We can see any game on the planet. But back in the day, you got your one local game. Right. And then you got your 4 o'clock game. My 4 o'clock game was always a West Coast game. Nine times out of ten, the 49ers were good. True. So we always got a Niner game or a Cowboy game. Mm-hmm. Or if the Niners, by God, would play the Cowboys, the East Coast would go crazy. Right. So – I, I saw the 49ers as much as I saw the Eagles or the Jets or the Giants because they were always the afternoon game. So Merton Hanks was, was, a, was balling out back then. <laughs> so that was an impressionable thing, yeah. you know, on a young, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where it all came from. When you ever toured, did you ever get a chance to meet him? No, I I've I've come close once. Okay, but you never... want me to hook it up for you, bro? If you can get me with Merton Hanks, I would like to okay. go. Thank you for the inspiration. Okay, we could do that. All right, let's let's do that. There, I'm, I'm good. All right, I'm good. D'Lo and Merton, there we go. Okay, I'm good. And, with then, that. and then we could have like the uh, the head bob off. How's that? Well, he, that... he'd win. He's got the uh, he's got the um, the patent on that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously. The um, Vice Network with the Dark Side of the Ring story mm-hmm. yes. is, is, you know, that's been going on now for a, a few years with mm-hmm. a lot of seasons. Are you a fan of what they're doing there as far as kind of telling these dark side about the business? A uh, fan or not a fan of this? Uh, I kind of like because, you know, the, you've got these stories that have been floating out in the, you know, in the ethos there of wrestling lore. So it's nice to get a little insight um, mm-hmm. on some of these stories and actually hear, instead of it being just, you know, um, folklore, let's get some, let's put some legitimacy to it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the work they're doing. All right. Um, Plane Ride from Hell. Oh, God. You get a chance to see that. Uh, I have not seen it yet, but I've heard tremendous. Like I've heard a lot about now, it. Now, were you involved? I mean, you were you were it, around that time. You yes. were you were you were there. I were in- you on the plane ride, D'Lo? Fortunately for me, I was not on the plane ride from hell. I was off that tour. So for me, I'm, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. <laughs> I will just put it like that. I consider myself one of the lucky ones that I wasn't on that tour. So when people bring that up, is that something you just say, hey, man, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying away from that, or you, you ever talk about it? I always go, guys, not my rodeo. Wasn't there. Right. Wasn't there. I can't speak on it if I wasn't there. I mean, aren't you glad you weren't there? I am. You cannot imagine how yeah. glad I am I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> State of wrestling today, what do you think it is? Now, obviously, now we've got, you know, we, you've got, you know, before, you know, Vince would have the, 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 the domination, basically. Mm-hmm. And one of my proudest moments, so you know, uh, back in the day, was when Vince sent me a cease and desist. It threatened me with a lawsuit. Really? Because I brought the Ultimate Warrior 
you know, out here, uh-huh. and they were feuding, and Vince said, you cannot use the term ultimate where you cannot use him on your shows, and I thought, that, I was pretty proud of that, you uh, know? Yeah, that's, that's a good moment uh, yeah, for you. Yeah, it was a good moment for me, there it is. But back in those days, you know, you had the independence, you had that sort of thing, you had the WCW, but now it seems like, you know, then he was open to kind of playing ball with everybody, letting some of these independents go, so where do you think this is now with Vince and the WWE and everything? Um... In terms of the state of the business right now, yeah. I, I think right now is it feels like somewhat of a renaissance of wrestling. Um, because you have these and let's take let's put WWE aside. Let's talk about the open door policy that's between AEW, Impact, New Japan, AAA. Um, when you get companies like that that are working together, willing to lend their stars to someone else's TV show, to me, Wrestling wins and the fans win. And if that's the case, then you're going to create more eyes and, and, and more viewers and more people coming up to see shows and more excitement because you get these dream matches that, you know, two years ago, no one ever thought was possible. I mean, by God, Kenny Omega was wrestling and, and was the Impact World's Champion. Now Christian Cage is the Impact World's Champion. I mean, think about that. I mean, and here's a guy who works for AEW. He's under contract with their company, yet he is our Impact World Champion. That says a lot. Right. About the state of business, because that would have never happened. You couldn't even mention another company's name on TV five exactly. years ago. The Forbidden Door. Right? Yeah, so you the know? Forbidden Door is wide they open, open now, yeah. and and it's a free flow of of, of, of talent and, and companies going back and forth. And I love it. I think it's it's a win win for for wrestling and for the fans and. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. You're a product of that right now with Impact Wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're an executive. Yeah. Right? There it is. Don't you're, you're, pr- producer, commentator. Yes. Pro- you know, what, uh, own, probably own stake in the company. Uh, don't. <laughs> come on, bro. This is Vegas. What stays here? St- you know, come on. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's not breaking news. There it is. <laughs> oh, by the way, RVD says, ask D-Lo when you talk to him, why'd he fire me? I didn't fire you. <laughs> He's listening right now, bro. Telling you, Rob, I love you. Come on, Doc. You know I almost invited Rob to come down. And you should have uh, next time. Next time, man. I got some. I didn't know. Stars. I didn't know if you guys were going to start throwing down. Well, no, I'm, I'm, playing. I'm some, playing. We, no. Listen, no, Rob, a lot of respect. He loves you. It's Vegas. We sit in the car and smoke. Of course. Wait a minute. Did it's, I say that out loud? It's, it's, oh, bro, I'm low key. Faded, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. <laughs> You understand? He's a sponsor of this show. Hey. RBD CBD. There we go. We can get D'Lo Brown to endorse it, too. Hey, I took my RB, RBD CBD this morning when I woke up. So as I wake up, I take a squeeze of it. Two dro- uh, Look, ten drops under my tongue. Come on, RBD. There it is. He hooked me up with a year ago. Z- I haven't stopped using it. There you go. Exactly. So all right. So, ne- so next time, you have to have an invitation back now. We'll bring, Bro. Bring I'm, RBD back in. I'm just going to drive by. You'll see me waving at the window. Yeah. Can I come in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't fire him. No, I didn't. I was Well, I, I get It was me. You were, you're on the call. Come I was on. on the call. I was on the call. There you go. But that's I'm come not, on, man. I'm, I'm not the one. I was on the call. I know. I know. I know you didn't. I was on the call. I love R. Yeah. I love Rob. Come on, man. I, you know, I just told him. I said, "Come on, bro. It's because you're too expensive. That's all." Bro, he's high dollar. He's exactly. He's high dollar. He's a high rent district. Bro, pay bro. that man his money. <laughs> he, he, he's he's like a month mortgage just to drive by your house. <laughs> right. <laughs> but deserve, deservedly deserve, deserve so. worth every dollar. Look, every dollar that brother get, he's earned for every frog splash. So I yeah. ever complain. <laughs> Impact coming to town here, October yes, the twenty third, Samstown Live. You know we've. You guys have been there, uh, you know, numerous times the past few years and everything. And a huge event, Bound for Glory, mm-hmm. coming uh, October the twenty third. Uh, give us, give us a little taste of uh, impact on October twenty third at Samstown Live. I mean, right up the top of the bat, you've got you've got Christian Cage defending the world's mm-hmm. title uh, uh, in a match where 
I don't know what can happen. I don't know what the outcome will be. But when you got a guy like Josh Alexander, who is a, a perpetual wrestler, he's 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 a buzzsaw, and he's been on this tremendous role for the last you know nine months. Um, you're gonna put those two guys in the ring who just both of them scream professional wrestling, mm. and and now you're gonna put them in, t- in the ring for the world championship. I, I I cannot wait. Like I tell everybody as an announcer, I've got the best seat in the house because I get to sit <laughs> ringside. I don't gotta pay for that seat. I'm sitting <laughs> ringside and I get to see the action 12 feet away from me, and that is amazing. Um, and then we're bringing you know some of the great stars. Diana Perrazzo is gonna take on Mickey James. Mickey James <laughs> is going to wrestle for the. Impact Knockouts Women's Championship. I mean, that says a lot. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to October 23rd, the day after my birthday, by the way. Oh, really? Yes, sir. There so I, I get a home game the yeah. day after my birthday. So the, <laughs> the hangover will be okay. I don't have to get on a plane. Very nice. All right. Impact Wrestling back here in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, also, you know, we're talking about the, the 23rd. Then also, uh, you got stuff on uh, the 24th and 25th at Samstown Lives too, right? But, yeah, we'll be we'll be right. filming uh, yep. Impact TV shows on the right. 24th, 25th. So, um, come on out, be part of our national broadcast, be seen by everybody all over the world, um, and 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 just be part of the action, part of the fun. See what excitement, see what spills, thrills are going to happen. I mean, it's going to be a, a great three days, and it's it literally the first time Impact has traveled. Outside of our adopted home of of, Na- of Nashville for the first time in, since the pandemic has started, so we're looking forward to getting out into the world. We're looking out to being around our people, our fans, and just entertaining in what is the the entertainment capital of the world. All right, Impact shows the twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and you can get tickets. Tell people how they can uh, get tickets. Obviously, go to the website. Go to, right, go to yeah. impactwrestling.com okay. right now. Um, you'd be happy to get you any kind of tickets you lead you need. I mean, there's plenty of good seats available. It's um, a nice venue. Samstown Live is a great venue for it that. It is a good for those who live in the yeah. city. It's out on the east side. You may we all don't like to drive to the east side. Yes, but when you get inside, Samstown is. There are a people nice that live venue. on the east side too, D'Lo. Yeah, not, they live there. I'm not. They can walk there. You know. I'm not talking to them. Yeah, you're not. No, they're, no. They're, they're listening. They're right already. Now. They're already coming to okay. the show. They're already gotcha. going to be there. Summerlin, get out there. That's what I'm talking. Take, take bus number nine or whatever it is. I'm talking to Summerlin. I'm talking yeah. to the Highlands. Let's go. Come on. I'm talking Old Henderson. Huh. Let's drive on out to Samstown. Support Impact Wrestling. I guarantee you, if you get Impact Wrestling a shot, a chance, an opportunity, we will impress you. Right. You can do it. That's right. <laughs> And, and, and this show reaches everywhere. I mean, we're go, you know, we're we're nationwide here. And we'll want to take a phone call or two. Let's go. Let's, do that. Let's hook you it never up. know where they're calling from let's here, go. but there you go. So get out here to Vegas. D'Lo Brown in the house here. All right, uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Philip, what do you got, brother? What's, what's up, DC? What's Hi. up, D'Lo Brown? Philip, what up, dog? How you doing? Good. How are you, bro? I can't. I'm living the dream. I can't be any better. <laughs> Dilo, uh, man, I'm a big wrestling fan. Love WWE, TNA Impact, and AEW. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have the best fro- uh, frog splash move. And uh, was that chest protector you wore? Uh, it like, kind of looked like a catcher's gear. Yeah. What was that uh, that you wore? And then, like my favorite, um, my favorite theme music of you is. You're looking at the real deal now. And then when, you did that head bob, when you did that head bob, and then um, uh, I liked when you and X Punk like fought for the European Championship, mm-hmm. and just wanted to say that. And I hope you could come out to Sacramento or Stockton 
Uh, that's where I'm located. I'm in Galt, California. It's by Sacramento and Stockton. And we got real real big wrestling fans over here. And then uh, one more thing. can you, I'm one of the Special Olympics athletes. Can you give my soccer team a shout-out? I know the wrestlers, you guys are so good to us, too, the Special Olympics athletes. Thanks, TC and D-Lo. Mm-hmm. Well, appreciate it, man. First of all, I got to tell you, because there was a lot to unpack there. Yes. Um, there was a lot to unpack. Uh, I know there's a lot of tremendous wrestling fans in, in Northern California. I love going out there, whether it be Sacramento, San Fran, Oakland. Love being out there. So I can't wait to go back out there at some point in the future. Um, thank you for being a fan. I will argue against me having the best frog splash. Um, right. I, I will the say, guy we were just talking about probably has yes, that, right? And, and I will say I'm lucky to just be in the conversation. <laughs> so I feel honored just to be in the conversation. Right. But, you know, in no particular order, Eddie Guerrero, RVD, Art Bar had much better frog splashes than me. Um, in terms of of just me and X Pac, my favorite opponent to be in the ring. I tell everybody, X Pac and I could have had a match, a great match in a phone booth. That was our chemistry. Yeah. We didn't need much room. Just just put us together and we're ready to go. So I appreciate you, Philip, and uh, big shout out to your soccer team out there. Special Olympians have a, a warm place in my heart. So appreciate you, dog. Yeah, excellent stuff. All right, what about the catcher's gear? What, 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 what the chest protector? That was, that was just to make people mad. Yeah, that was a Jim Ross idea, and he goes, "You need something that's going to separate you because you're a good wrestler, but you need something to separate you from the other good wrestlers." So that's where the chest protector came, and um, I didn't want to do it at first. Turned out to be the greatest decision I ever had in wrestling because. You know, here twenty years later, we still get we're getting calls right. about it on the radio. Right. So it right. it worked out. It worked <laughs> and, out, and you never know at that point in time, like what a gimmick can do for you, uh, for a positive or a negative. But I, really, for the most part, for a positive. I thought I was going to be the laughing stock of the business. I was like, yeah. I, I remember telling my my fiance time, I was like, babe, they're going to call me Johnny Bench, right? Like, <laughs> like that's I was, just, I was just trying to think of a catcher. Go Johnny Bench, Thurman Munson, you're an East Coast guy, so I was yeah. thinking somewhere like that, you know, you know, Mike Piazza. I mean, babe, yeah. I was like, babe, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to laugh yeah. at me, and I didn't want to do it. At First, and then she goes, you know, try it. If you try it, it fails, then it's a bad idea. But if you don't try it, then it's your fault for not trying it. And I was like, okay. And then I went with it. And like I said, 20 years later, we're fielding phone calls here. Uh, and and it was the greatest thing that ever happened in my career. Worst gimmick of all time. Oh, for me or for anybody? Anybody. Not you. <sighs> wow. Can I nominate Goldust? No, see, I like Goldust. Did you? Even people uncomfortable. I think like the gobbledygooker. <laughs> There you like go. when a chicken appears yeah. out of a box, See, that's kind of bad. Is that Vince? Who, who came up with that? I, I don't know. Seriously, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to hang that L on somebody. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who that belongs to. <laughs> but man, somebody really messed up with the gobbledygooker. Yeah. See that? That's what just drove me away when we got too goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Too, too much it nonsense. Went, it and it bothered. Cartoon. It bothered me with guys. That, that you know that uh, didn't wear the tights and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Mr. Hughes, he used to work for me. Okay, yeah, love Curtis. Yes, you, good worker, all that stuff. But it's like, bro, for lo- got to lose the whole tie bit and the and and the the white shirt and the pants. Yeah, I'm just not feeling that. You yeah, know, the street look only works for a couple people. Like John Cena's made a living of getting away with right. that. That's kind of his his niche. Uh, to some extent, the Undertaker's kind of exactly skirted on that. One of the but, first. But yeah, you're, but you're talking. You know, I, I'm talking rarefied air. I, I can't even count on one hand yeah. the number of guys that it worked for, as opposed to the thousands that it didn't work true. for. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's always an exception to the rule, but I'm a big proponent of 
if you're going in the ring, look like a wrestler. Exactly. I don't want I don't want my I don't my newspaper guy in the ring. I don't want my guy who works at Burger King. I want someone who looks like a wrestler. Somebody I want to go, wow, I'd like to be him. Can you imagine D Lo in a singlet? I want to see him in the singlet. Oh, no. The, the, the old Bobby the Brain Heenan with, with a singlet. Or Andre the Giant. No, the one strap. No, I'll pass on that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> can't one. see it. I no. just can't see it. No, that's why I wore a full one because I called it my belly protector. Right. Because it covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking good, man. How, oh. how often do you get back in the ring? Don't anymore. Really? I, I have. What I, did it for you to say, that's it, I'm done? Uh, old age. I'm yeah. 50 years old and I got. Come on. 50 yes. ain't nothing. Hey, come on. Today's 50 is, uh, you know, come on, man. Yep. The, the, the new 30. Tell that to the guy who's who's jumped off the top rope 300 times that's a year. That's that you 50, 50 quicks kicked up we really quickly and. Uh, who no i'm i'm happy to be uh sitting at the announce desk and doing color commentating and uh, i love you I mean think about it the best job in the world where i get to talk about the thing i love yes i get to talk every week about the thing i love and there's nothing greater than that great stuff man great getting a chance to to see you man wish uh, it, i'm i'm i wish it happened sooner but i'm glad it happened now yeah and now now we've got the the door is open man you got the open invite anytime and and, and you you're local i mean come on bro next time i bring rob with me we'll do it i'll yeah. go pick him up drive by bring him here we you'll never get rid of us yeah yeah be here the whole show that's the way he usually is with Rob. We usually can't get rid of him. That's the problem, you know. He's here, hey. he's here every other week. You know, it's like, dude, you, you can put that down. You don't need to light that up in here. You know. Hey. Well, you know, it's just, all good. It's a public service. He's helping everybody out. Exactly. HBO, no. help Love. a brother out. Yeah. There you go. Puff, 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 give. Puff, puff, give. There it is. <laughs> Impact, come in here to Samstown Live here in Las Vegas, October twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth. Get your tickets. Go to. To Impact. Go to ImpactWrestling.com. Yes, sir. And get tickets right now. And I guarantee you, Impact is going to knock the socks off Las Vegas. 23, 24, and 25 October. Great stuff. D-Lo Brown in the house. A pleasure, my man. The nation of domination. We hit it all. Hit it all day. We're going to hit some more when we come back next time. All right. Awesome. All right. Impact Wrestling, again, October 23rd, 24th, 25th, here at Sam's Town Live. We come back. Scott Sprites is going to join us. We start handicapping some winners for the weekend. The T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. It was a most ripping victory. By kicking an oblong ball made of pig skin to a big H. The Doctor is now in. All right, the running Rebels are undefeated. Kevin Kruger, the man. And I think, Kevin... That you are undefeated because every time you come on the show, we play this song, your song. So Numchuck is telling me that we have to play it every time you come on now, at least until you lose. So get used to a little Benny King and stand by me. Well, it is. I mean, it is a classic. I mean, it's made it's made it this long, so uh, might as well keep it going. There it is. Exactly. All right. Congratulations, my man. Three and zero. The Rebels get the victory last night over. North Dakota State, the Bison come to town and they leave uh, with their first loss of the season. UNLV wins sixty four, sixty two. Congratulations, brother! Real happy for you. Uh, thank you. I mean, the guys, you know, have battled. They've you know, answered the 
the test each of the first three games, and and uh, it wasn't maybe as pretty as we'd like offensively, but we really liked what they did defensively. All right, we do have breaking news here. All right, now you may not be aware of this, Kevin. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to break it down. I'm going to go on a limb here. Kevin Kruger, ladies and gentlemen, 3-0, and undefeated, has the highest winning percentage of any coach in the history of college basketball. That's right. That's right. 1,000 in the history of college. Put Coach K to shame, Dean Smith, uh, Adolf Rupp, everybody. Everyone else is looking up at you right now, my friend. Yeah, yeah, that must be why they uh, left that chair open uh and then the tark statue outside of Minden Hall. <laughs> that's right hey, I, I, I gotta throw tark in there as well of course i, I should have said tark at, at, at the top there absolutely correct there it is yeah see you don't even know what losing is right now right i mean <laughs> you don't even know what it is what is it right <laughs> no I, I don't know and i'm not going to even try to figure it out is there a routine here is there a superstitious here let's go let's let's get to the bear but we could talk stats we could talk x's and o's we could talk motion offense we could talk about switching up from a two three going man sagging the ball we could do all that but no let's get into the deep roots here of what kevin Kruger is eating for breakfast lunch and dinner on game day and everything where's the superstitious factor here I think the superstition just comes in the in the trust that what you're doing is is best preparing the guys to go win games. So, you know, we'll keep uh, keep the schedule we got and the, the preparation we got, and, and just know that we got a little more of a a, a a tried and tested team Friday with Michigan. But uh, we like how we're preparing. We like the attitude and the. The approach that the guys are taking. You really don't have anything like okay, hey, well, let's see. I I, I wore that, uh, you know, I wore that when I coached in, or I, I had this for my pregame meal. You don't have any of that, huh? Because you know a lot of players and coaches do. You know, I, it is weird. I don't necessarily have something that specific, but there are times where I do wonder, like, well, you know, this wasn't this way last time. This wasn't <laughs> that way last time. So I'd be lying if I said it didn't cross my mind, but. I think uh, with as much things as we think about on a game day, adding that to it just wouldn't probably help anything. Right, right. All right, three close games. Uh, Gardner-Webb in the opener. Cal, very impressive victory, beating Cal out of the Pac-12 uh, on Saturday. And then uh, North Dakota State last night, a, a team that's been to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're a, a top-of-the-line Summit League team. Good way to start your head coaching career, my friend. Like you said, you know, They've all been close. They haven't been perfect, but the bottom line is they're all W's. Well, exactly. I mean, we could very well be zero and three right now, and wondering, you know, what we got to do to get a win. But you know, the, every every game's kind of presented a different challenge. With you know, the first game not being full staff, uh, we're still thin up front with a couple of big guy injuries, but also not having Jordan, so that posed a little bit different of a challenge than going with the, the size out of the Pac-12 with Cal and. And again, staying, still being thin up front, but having Jordan in his first game. So that kind of presented a different challenge there. And then North Dakota State, well, we told our guys we only had a one-day prep. And, you know, North Dakota State's used to winning. You know, their their culture and their program is about winning. They're not going to panic if we go on a run. And if they go on a run, you know, we've got to be ready to answer the bell. And so I really just couldn't be happier with the way the guys have, have approached it. And and in, in huddles and timeouts, they're – their eyes are on us as a staff and, and just kind of figuring out what's needed to be done to win. It would be, it would be nice. I'm not going to lie. It would be nice if we could create a little separation and get a, 
a nice, easy, relaxing second half. But with our non-conference schedule, I uh, I don't know if I see that happening. Mm-hmm. Grade yourself uh, after your first three games. <laughs> um, there's definitely things going back that you know you do differently. Um, there's times where uh, maybe made a decision and and one of the guys has bailed me out by making a play out of it. So uh, I'll just grade myself as uh, thankful and appreciative that we're three and out. That's great. Uh, what has been maybe the most awkward? moment or a thing for you i mean a lot of coaches go through that you know whether it's a first game or maybe the first couple games and uh you know i i know coaches you know that will they'll call a timeout or something like that with like less than a second or two you know you know before a quarter or a half or something like that uh any have you noticed anything in your first three games that you said oh wow you know um I'm, that was a little awkward or maybe i shouldn't have done that um i don't know if i'd do that as much as uh, the first game. It was very. Do I sit? Do I stand? Right. Um, and and I found pretty quickly that I definitely prefer to stand. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a better angle there, closer to mid court, seeing everything. And uh, but that was definitely the the first uh, my first kind of uh, out of body experience almost uh, during a game was when I was look kind of wondering. All right, do I sit? Do I stand? What do I do here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so you f- you feeling comfortable with with the standing and and, and the, you got the pacing going. You, I see you get a little pacing going on once in a while too. Yeah, you know you got to get your steps in, so I uh, got to stay healthy. But uh, no, I, I, I do. I think uh, just kind of instead of fidgeting, I think that's kind of what I do. And and uh, but you know it, you know as an assistant, you spend a lot of time sitting, and it's kind of a a, a rule with the officials <laughs> right. and with the and kind of way the games play that you're not supposed to stand. So. Maybe here early I'll stand. I think uh, my dad was the same way when I was growing up. He was he was never sitting. He was usually crouched down in front of the scores table in front of the bench. And then I think as he got older and a little more used to it, he sat more. So who knows? I can see the Christmas presents coming now. Uh, send Kevin Kruger the uh, the uh, the Fitbit. Uh, the the yeah. step counter. There it is. Comfortable dress shoes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this: uh, you have got some experienced assistant head coaches. We've talked about that before. And I, uh, how much do you rely on them? And when you get in these huddles, because I know in the huddle of the game on Saturday night, you talked about it afterwards, about you know talking to your team like, hey, what do you guys want to do here in this situation? We've got a key possession here with uh, under a minute to go. Uh, are you relying at this point in time maybe uh, on your assistant coaches and kind of you know throwing some stuff off to your guys to like, hey, what do you feel comfortable doing at this point in time on the floor? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think uh, one of the main roles of, of the assistant is, is to kind of know the team, whoever scouted this, and know them pretty much inside and out. So, uh, yeah, with Coach Hart, Carlin Hartman had um, the North Dakota State, uh, or, and the, or yeah, Coach Chappelle had North Dakota State, so, you know, and, and Coach Hartman had Cal, so I just asked, you know, what, uh, you know, do we have the five out there? You know, do we need. You know, who shoots it well for them? Who, who's a good free throw shooter? Just kind of little things that you might, uh, forget for a second. And, uh, but no, absolutely. Every time we go to a timeout, you know, we're, we're talking to the staff and, and, uh, I, I, I lean on them heavily. He is Kevin Kruger, the UNLV head coach, and of course, the former rebel himself off to a great start, uh, three and oh. Kevin, how do you like doing the press conferences? You, you good, you good with that? I mean, you seem very, very yeah. comfortable. Yeah, no, they're, they're well. They've all been great so far. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't mind it at all. I think it's it's nice to go back there and see uh, people interested 
and and following and covering and talking about UNLV basketball. Yeah. And because these guys, uh, I think they deserve it. You know, they deserve the support of the city and to see people back there covering them and, and wanting to get the word out that these guys play hard and are representing the UNLV the right way is uh, is really all we want as a staff. So you have an entire roster, basically, of new players and still guys that you're not totally familiar with. I mean, even though you've been practicing for the past you know few months, we get that. But uh, we have seen you make a lot of multiple substitutions where you'll send three and sometimes four guys in. Is that more about like finding the right mix as you're still trying to learn what these guys can do in certain situations? Or, or is, is there some other reasons for that? No, I think it's a lot of just, uh, you know, we throughout practice we've kind of learned that we've got a lot of guys that can play yep. and uh, and give similar results so um yeah subbing three four and even we subbed five at one point last night um it, when a group's out there getting a little tired a little fatigued uh we have no problem going all the way down the bench and, and getting fresh guys in there because we think fresh guys uh regardless of you know what their quote-unquote or number would be on the roster would is still better than one of our guys fatigued and tired mm-hmm. so uh, but they've, what they've done is they've shown that they all go out there and play really hard. And that, that's why it'd be great to play as many guys as possible and, and just play really hard. And it does look like that you have that that depth. And you really, you know, aside from maybe Bryce Hamilton and, of course, you know, Royce Ham, the way he's developed. I mean, you've, you've got some great players. But it seems like you can go to that bench and you really don't have that you know, quote unquote, starting five. Even though you're you're starting a lot of the same guys, but you can go like like your eighth or ninth guy could could be just like your third or fourth guy. I mean, that's that's the feeling that I get. I want your take on that. Oh, I, I wouldn't disagree at all. I think uh, they, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten, whatever you would want to number it. Uh, we have just as much confidence in them and 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 figuring out and trying to, you know, ha- have the same objective as one, two, three, four, five, and. You know, we've switched starting lineups. I don't think it bothers the guys. We've looked at different combinations and who does what well. And, well, I mean, all we're really looking for, we, I think we've made it pretty clear, we're going to play 10, 11 guys. So uh, the guys that are out there getting results and playing hard are, are the ones that are going to finish it. And they know, I think, from a player's perspective, that they're going to get an opportunity. So I think that's one of the reasons they go out there and play as hard as they do is because at the end of the game, it's it's nothing more than who to that point has produced and shown that they're going to uh, kind of get the job done. Kevin, I want to ask you about a few guys here, and each one just I'm going to go down the list here, and then I want you to to kind of give me your thoughts about uh, these guys because still UNLV fans are still learning these players. Aside from Bryce Hamilton, they really probably don't know a lot A lot of these guys, maybe Marvin Coleman as well, too. But uh, let's start with Bryce Hamilton. Uh, just tell me your thoughts so far about what he's contributed this season, and then maybe Bryce Hamilton as a person. Yeah, well, Bryce is a, I mean, he's a home run of a guy. Uh, he's fun to be around. Um, he's quiet, but he's, he's not antisocial or any stretch. Uh, but uh, I think what Bryce has done so far in the first three games is kind of he's come up big late. Um, he's struggled a little bit with his, his shooting percentage early, but then in the last you know three four minutes of each game he's made some big plays. You know back to back big threes in the Gardner Webb and the Cal games that could give us a little bit of breathing room, and then even last night uh, being able to attack North Dakota State guys off the dribble and create advantages. So 
what he's done has been great. Now it's kind of on us as a staff to figure out how we can get him in better positions for the first 35 minutes. Has he really kind of take, taken a leadership role on this team, and do you kind of consider him, okay, he's our go-to guy, we need a bucket, You know, he's the guy we need? And then part two of that is what is he like from uh, an, an emotional side as far as you know, is he one of those calming guys or is he a guy that's a, you know, hey, he's going to be a rah-rah guy? No, he's definitely not a rah-rah guy. He's uh, he's somebody, but he is consistent. You know, he's got the same uh, mood and the same headspace uh, pretty much a, <laughs> irregardless of the time or the situation of the game. But I think that's why he's able to make plays toward the end of the game. It's uh, He doesn't get nervous or, or anything of, of that sort. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just – he's continued to work uh, – We. I think he's taken a little bit more of a leadership role and a little bit of uh, ownership, and I think he might be pressing a little bit early on, but um, he's proven that uh, toward the end of games, he's he's looking to make take and make the big shot. Jordan McCabe. Yeah, Jordan. I mean, coming into after missing the first game, you know, Jordan did a really good job coming in the second game and last game, and and being that kind of steady hand and and playmaker and. I think uh, he's one of those guys that we'd love for him to look for his uh, catch-and-shoot opportunities more. But I think it, it looks like it's going in every time. We have confidence that it is. But I think as this group continues to play together, he's somebody that uh, it would be a big reason that the offense continues to develop and get better because each of our games so far, even though it's still not earth-shattering numbers, we've gotten better offensively, and the defense is kind of maintained. Yeah, Jordan McCabe, uh, great point guard, uh, can definitely distribute it. He's got, he can handle the ball, can even shoot the ball as well, too. And he transferred from West Virginia. Uh, any truth to the matter that he does not have you confused with Coach Bobby Huggins at all? <laughs> um, I'll ask him tomorrow, but uh, I don't think me and Coach Huggins um, resemble each other too much just yet. You've got to be a breath of fresh air for him compared to the Huggy Bear. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to say that. Come on. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'd be, I, I do sometimes say when something happens, you know, what would Coach Huggins do right there? And he'll just kind of shoot me a look. And, right. <laughs> uh, but he won't. But he would never say anything bad about Coach Huggins. Right. And, uh, but I know Coach Huggins is intense, but and uh, obviously a Hall of Fame coach. So uh, it's nothing but love. Yeah, and you had some battles. You guys were on opposite sidelines for a, a lot of those games when you were an assistant for your dad at Oklahoma, you know, right there in the Big 12 against uh, West Virginia. Oh, yeah. I mean, you hated playing against West Virginia because you just knew it was going to be a 40-minute fight. And, you know, a lot of things were just thrown out the window, and it was just about defensive rebounding and not turning it over. And uh, those two things are just nothing but toughness. So you always knew when you were going to go play West Virginia with Coach Huggins that it was really just going to be a, a toughness challenge for 40 minutes. Another one of those transfers is Royce Ham Jr. Uh, from Texas, and we've talked about him before. Uh, this guy looks like a beast. He looks like the real deal. Uh, speak on on his behalf for a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean Royce. Now I think he's had, he got what forty one rebounds in three games. Right. So you know his value on the on the defensive rebounding side is is paramount for us, and uh, his energy is just it's contagious and uh, infectious to the other guys he's, he's consistent he's steady you always know every single day i mean just like a game is, is the way he practices and i think you know one of the things we talk about from day one is is your, your daily habits and and royce is just a great example and for anybody that comes to watch practice you're going to see the same thing and i think that's why he's playing uh, the way he is because you know at this 
point of your career at these ages that these guys are at, you know, ranging from 18, 22, 23, you're still developing those habits and you're going to play in games how you practice. So if, if you're a guy that takes it, you know, some days you have great days, some days you don't, that's what your games are going to be like. But Royce has been consistent, you know, the hundred percent energy, uh, every single day. So it's, uh, it's what's showing up in the games. Donovan Williams. Yeah, Donovan, they call him Stretch. Uh, you could probably tell why. You know, his arms go on forever. And uh, he's been somebody that, you know, we've been excited to, to have around. You know, just his length, his athleticism is, is tough to find. And to have it in a guy like Donovan has been, been really great for us. Uh, he's fun to be around. He's got, he smiles. I think everybody likes him. He's, uh, uh, he, he's just, I think, starting to break out of his shell on the court in terms of what he's capable of. Uh, we love how disruptive he can be defensively uh he he's one of those guys that can take gambles and risks but not be beat because his his length and athleticism allows him to get back into plays and then you know last night he has two opportunities to kind of show people what he can do when he when he's got a, an advantage you know with the two dunks he had and and, I, and then, you know making that big huge three-pointer out of the corner right after North Dakota State and hit one to cut it to two so he's not afraid to take and make the big shot which you know, you get multiple guys out there that can do that. Yeah, yeah you got a chance to do some fun things at the end of games. Yeah, another guy that came over uh, from Texas. Uh, you know, that says a lot. I mean, you know, you got two guys that came from big time. You know, a big time program, and they chose UNLV through the transfer portal. And uh, it looks like they're fitting in really nicely with what you're doing at UNLV. No, no question. You know, that's uh, that's something that's special to us as a staff. You know, they chose to come here. Could have gone to a lot of places, but. Uh, especially being my first time, uh, they decided to team up with us and go figure it out together. So uh, we're, you know, we're just thankful that they uh, decided to come to Vegas. All right, next on the docket, Friday night, uh, UNLV takes on Michigan, and uh, it is at T-Mobile Arena, part of the uh, the four team. I guess really don't want to call it a tournament, but it got Arizona, Wichita State, Michigan, and UNLV. Looking forward to that, and uh, you're taking on Big Blue. Now, you're going to be doing some scouting tonight because Michigan's taking on Seton Hall. It'll basically be kind of their first test. They've had a couple easy victories uh, so far. So you're going to be watching a little bit of that yourself tonight? Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, as much as anything, we like uh, we, we like watching college basketball in this house. So uh, we'll be doing that, but absolutely. If you got an opponent coming up, you got to watch them. You got that right. All right, Kevin, now this game is at 930 as well, too. Is there some creative scheduling that's going on here? Because, you know, we do the math here. It'll, it'll, it'll be 1230 in the morning for these Wolverines. You know, it's a late start for them. Advantage UNLV or what? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't have anything to do with the scheduling. Uh, that was uh, the, the event. Right. Putting that together, of course, we wouldn't want to start ever start a game at nine thirty p.m. But uh, it is what it is, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping it, it serves to be an advantage for us. I, I'm sure the guys don't mind it. I'm sure it's just us old people that uh, you know look at that nine thirty p.m. start time as being so different. Right, and again, you know, do you do anything as a coach though? Does when you're in these situations to have a late game like that? I mean, like maybe you know, practice a couple times at, at that hour, you know, leading up to it, or is that something? Eh, you know, we just we're gonna play when we play. Uh, that we'll just play when we play. We yeah, we actually practice in the morning. So this would, uh, in terms of rest and preparation, I think this is almost be like a full uh, two days of of rest for their bodies to get ready. So. Uh, we'll probably stay the same way. We might look at doing something like that, but uh, without being able to get in there 
uh, in that into T-Mobile specifically. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if I think that would probably take precedence over the time. Right. All right. So you got Michigan coming up. You got UCLA. Uh, a couple of big powerhouses. Uh, t- talk about uh, get, getting ready for a tougher part of the schedule here. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious, we love to go and see, you know, what we're made of. Uh, you know, we're, we've had some close ones here, and and then now we got Big Ten opponent, you know, potential American Pac-12 opponent right after, and you mentioned UCLA, another Pac-12 opponent, then some road games. So, uh, just excited to keep it going, and uh, we love our non-conference schedule and how difficult it is, and the different opportunities and challenges it poses for the guys so that when conference schedule rolls around there won't be anything we haven't seen all right all right he is kevin Kruger, the head coach of unlv he is three and oh again he has the best winning percentage uh, of any coach in history right now there it is so we'll uh, we'll start carving the statue next to tark out there in front of the thomas and <laughs> yeah. center but uh, kevin appreciate you as always uh, doing a fantastic job and again e- even though the numbers haven't been really big with with the crowds yet it's early on and you know i think you understand too you know the hesitancy maybe with some fans because of what has transpired you know over the past you know five seasons or so but you know we're trying to promote it as much as we can because again, like I've always said, you're one of uh, you know our own UNLVs, and I think that that's coming across. And people that are going to the games, uh, they're enjoying it. It's entertaining. And I think it's just a matter of time before the Mac starts getting filled up. No, I hope so because I think these guys uh, are easy to root for. They play really hard, and uh, I, I just think that they're representing UNLV and the city the right way. So I'd love for more people to come out and support them. All right, my man. Good luck uh, over the weekend uh, against Michigan and, again, uh, the UNLV in action. Uh, you know, After that, uh, back at the Thomas and Mack Center, then they'll go on the road. But uh, some big-time games uh, you know, coming up here on the schedule. And the next one, like we said, T-Mobile Arena, the 930 start. Uh, you can get your ticket, tickets at access.com, access.com, and see the Rebels against Big Blue, the number four team in the country, the Michigan Wolverines. And, again, it'll be a great gauge for you guys to see exactly where you're at. And uh, good luck, and hopefully pull off the upset. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.